Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to major legislation to improve implementation of the Endangered Species Act. Please welcome our host, Darren Basque, Senior Research Fellow in Regulatory Policy Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Good afternoon. As was said, my name is Darren Bax. I'm a Senior Research Fellow here at the Heritage Foundation. We're honored to, to speak today with Representative Dan Newhouse from the state of Washington, who's Chairman of the Congressional Western Caucus, and Representative Ken Buck, who's from Colorado and a member of the Western Caucus. Both legislators are leaders when it comes to common sense and effective environmental policy. The Endangered Species Act is a law that simply hasn't worked as intended. Only about 3% of species listed as threatened or endangered are removed from the list due to recovery, and that's just unacceptable. This failure is not merely about the statute itself, though. It's, it's also how the, e, e, the uh, ESA has been implemented. The Trump administration recognized the problems with ESA implementation and finalized rules that would help with species conservation while recognizing that respect for federal, federalism and private property rights will help to better achieve the objectives of the ESA. Unfortunately, the Biden administration is getting rid of these rules. Today, we'll learn about critical legislation from Western Caucus members that would codify these regulations, these Trump regulations into law. Chairman Newhouse and Representative Buck will provide some initial remarks, and then we'll discuss the ESA and this important legislation. So Chairman Newhouse, let me turn it over to you. Oh, thank you very much, Darren, and thanks for having me today to discuss some of the, um, the work that the Congressional Western Caucus has been doing in regards to the ESA or, or the Endangered Species Act. So thank you for very much for that introduction. Um, as chairman, let me just start by saying that Congressional Western Caucus members, we truly serve as a voice for rural America in the United States Congress. We're a group of over 70 members, and un unlike what the name would lead you to believe, we have members from across the United States. We focus on issues impacting rural communities throughout certainly the West, but all across the country. Uh, one of those issues being the Endangered Species Act. Every single one of our members has, in one way or another, been affected by the ESA. Now we can agree, I think most of us would say that the ESA was written with good intentions, but its implementation over its long history has left a lot to be desired. ESA is a failure and onerous regulations have hindered species recovery efforts, not to mention, and I can speak of this firsthand, not to mention the economies and the livelihoods of so many people in rural America. Instead of a top-down approach, we need flexible tools to effectively recover species, not strict regulations. As, out, as outlined in the Western Caucus Conservation Principles, which is a document that the caucus rolled out earlier this year as an alternative to President Biden's 30 by 30 initiative, which I'm sure you've heard of. The ESA must utilize a transparent science-based process 
that fosters an environment of collaboration with state, local, tribal, and private partners to encourage species recovery and conservation efforts. So again, I wanna thank you very much to the foundation for the opportunity to discuss this important work that Western Caucus members are doing. And we've, we've got a long road ahead of us. Uh, so please continue to let us know what we can do to help on this important issue. And thank you so much for helping to elevate this issue to where it needs to be. Absolutely, and, and thank you, Chairman Newhouse and all the Western Caucus members. Um, so uh, let's hear from you, Representative Buck. It's great for you to be here, thanks. Thank you, Darren, and, and uh, I wanna thank my friend Dan uh, for allowing me to join him on this webinar, and I wanna thank uh, the Heritage Foundation for this also. Uh, you know, the, the Endangered Species Act is a failure in so many ways. Uh, in, in one of my uh, uh, really motivating issues in Congress is spending. And when you look at the Endangered Species Act, it was enacted in 1993, or 1973, I'm sorry, um, it has not been reauthorized since 1992. It has a five-year sunset on it. And it's one of the many spending bills that we have in Congress that uh, continues to receive funding, even though it's not authorized. So it's appropriated, but not authorized. We need to take a close look at this program. We need, I, I, when I say we, Congress needs to take a close look at this program. We need to decide how it can be improved, how it can be streamlined, how it can be made more effective uh, and, and uh, reauthorize this program. But nobody wants to take that hard vote on either side of the aisle because uh, the program really is uh, fraught with abuse. The uh, idea was a great idea. Uh, we have uh, in 1973, the bald eagle, uh, it's dying off. There's uh, chemicals that are being used in agriculture that are uh, creating uh, thin shells uh, for the eggs of these bald eagles. Uh, we, we ban some of those chemicals, the eagle starts coming back and people point to that as a success for the Endangered Species Act. And we're all very proud as Americans that we can address an issue like that successfully. The problem is that rather than using the Endangered Species Act as a shield, the woke left uses the Endangered Species Act as a sword. It attacks private property rights wherever it can. It goes after those individuals who create wealth in this country not just for themselves, but they employ people, they develop land, they produce the food that we all eat and the energy uh, that we all use. And by, uh, by using this statute as a sword, uh, it has done great harm, not just to our economy, uh, but as my friend Dan Newhouse said, to individual livelihoods, to uh, the folks who are working the hardest on the land. And so you've got this urban-rural divide, and the Endangered Species Act is one of the many tools that the urban uh, elite use to punish those in rural America who are working so hard. In 2014, the uh, Attorney General of Oklahoma, a state uh, uh, that actually borders my district in, in Colorado, uh, the Oklahoma Attorney General brought a, uh, an action um, against the, the federal government involving, um, and I want to make sure I get this right, the lesser prairie chicken, and, uh, and, and really highlighted the problems that we have with the Endangered Species Act, the idea that 
the uh, act can be used to, to shut down energy production because the left doesn't like fossil fuels and uses any any vehicle they can uh, to harm folks. And they and one in court. There were already programs in place with the oil and gas companies, with private landowners to uh, to deal with the uh, diminishing uh uh, numbers of lesser prairie chickens. But uh, the other thing I want to mention is uh, the uh, the act as a whole, if you look at it, uh, thousands of critters have been put on the endangered species list. Only a handful have ever been taken off. And some of that handful have been taken off because they were uh, already extinct. Um, it's really a mismanaged program. It deserves congressional scrutiny. And, and I hope we get there. Uh, and thanks, Aaron, for, for having me. Thank you, Representative Buck. Um, so now so now, what I'd like to do is turn to some questions and let's just have a, a discussion. Um, so, so Chairman Newhouse, there's a myth that conservatives don't care about the environment or species conservation. I, I hear it too often, honestly. How you counter this myth and how will this package of ESA bills that the Western Caucus has developed help with species conservation? Uh, well, thanks for that question, Darren. And let me say also uh, thanks to my friend and colleague, Mr. Buck, for, uh, for being on this with me. Uh, we share a lot of similar goals, and, and uh, it's a pleasure to be there, here with you. So... Um, what can I say about this myth, Darren? It's it's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Uh, look at the word conservative. What's the base root of that? Con conserve, right? Conservation. It's not that we don't care about conservation. We just, what we don't like is the federal government's one-size-fits-all approach. In, in rural America, um, uh, our livelihoods depend on the environment. I'm a farmer. My livelihood, my, my future generation's livelihood depend on, on me taking care of the, the natural resources that we have, our land, our water. And that, our livelihood depends on that, literally. Um, we want to make sure that there's a healthy ecosystem for wildlife, uh, certainly. That's, that's part of the whole equation. At the same time, We've been consistently left behind by the federal government who tries to over-regulate every aspect of our lives. So honestly, this whole myth that you bring up there, it's, it truly is insulting. What the Trump administration did to improve the ESA, though, was to give control back where it needs to be, where, where that control needs to be, to the states, to the local communities who, who are already working to conserve and restore species all across the country. So by modernizing this law, which, as Mr. Buck alluded to, hasn't been updated since the 1970s, we, make, we can make sure that listing decisions are transparent. They're based on, this is something that shouldn't be so unique, but based on the best available science and made with input from the local communities that would be most, uh, most directly impacted. So our package of legislation legislation, it's, it's pushing back on the Biden administration by, by codifying the gains that we made 
during the Trump administration, those improvements that were put into place, those things that empower states, empower local governments to take the reins on species conservation and improve that important transparency. And, and really, uh, the goal is, the aim is to make this landmark species protection law, which, as my friend Mr. Buck talked about, we all see as important to make it more effective. That's great. Uh, Representative Buck, um, it, it, could you briefly address the myth that I just brought up about conservatives not caring about the environment or species conservation? Yeah, I'd love to. And, and thank you. And, and uh, you know, uh, obviously, Representative Newhouse is a great example of someone who has spent his lifetime uh, working the land and is one of the great stewards of the land. Farmers and ranchers know the land much better than bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., they work the land. They understand uh, the species. I was out on the western slope of Colorado on, on where most of the federal land in, in Colorado is. And I was meeting with a rancher who was leasing a BLM property and had all these restrictions placed on him uh, concerning the sage grouse and, and bringing back habitat. And, and, you know, it's just the common sense that rural people have. But this rancher looked at me and, and he said, you know, Congressman, if we want to uh, take care and protect the sage grouse, all we have to do is kill a few fox and a few coyotes. And I can do that in, in a day riding around in my pickup truck. And he can. Uh, and, and so the idea that somehow uh, we, we uh, only protect the sage grouse as opposed to uh, deal with the predators uh, uh, on the other side of the equation is, is pure folly. And it's the kind of thinking that you get when you have people in Washington, D.C. making decisions for people in rural America. The uh, Trump administration did something I think was absolutely brilliant. They moved the headquarters for the Bureau of Land Management to the western slope of Colorado, to Grand Junction. I talked to those Bureau of Land Management employees. They were thrilled. They were so happy that they had this fairly small community that was just embracing them. Real estate agents who were showing them around and and uh, the community, churches and other groups that were holding receptions for them. They were so happy that they were among the people uh, who they had to regulate and, and whose, whose property they were impacting. And uh, one of the first acts of the Biden administration is going to be to move that BLM office back to Washington, D.C., move it back inside the Beltway, have this uh, administrative elite that are going to tell the people of the United States what they have to do. It's so uh, it's just demonstrates so much common sense to have uh, federal employees working around the people uh, who they impact the most. And I'm really proud of the Trump administration for thinking of it. I'm also proud of, of Senator Cory Gardner from Colorado, uh, who uh, is our former uh, senator now, but uh, uh, really championed the idea. And it was a great idea. And it's unfortunate that, uh, again, the left has to uh, run the world out of Washington, D.C. instead of mingling with the people who are impacted so much. Representative Buck, that's a, I absolutely agree. And that was such a great idea. Um, and actually, I'd like to follow up with another question for you, Representative Buck. And it's actually about legislation that you've introduced called the Threatened Species Protection Improvement Act of 2021, which is um, H.R. 5725. And the issue is, so ensuring that property owners are not disincentivized from helping to conserve species is like a really big deal. And uh, I think people kind of get lose the fact that 
having proper incentives and not having improper disincentives is critical. So how does your legislation address kind of these incentives and disincentives? So the Endangered Species Act is uh, just in a very broad way. Uh, it was uh, really written and, and has been interpreted since as, as a chainsaw uh, approach to uh, this, this idea of, of conservation. And it, it really threatens private property rights and, and uh, damages local economies. The threatened uh, Species Act is, in de- is in designed at more as a scalpel. And so what my uh, bill requires is the uh, Fish and Wildlife Service to examine very closely and specifically uh, the habitat that we're trying to protect, the species we're trying to protect. Instead of just this broad approach for an animal that is almost extinct, take a a much more specific approach to uh, animals that are merely threatened or species that are merely threatened. And uh, by doing so, minimize the impact on uh, the local economy. And uh, hopefully um, the bill will be interpreted appropriately um, and rulemaking authority will be appropriate. uh, And the uh, appropriate agencies are really uh, taking this to heart that the uh, threatened animals, we certainly don't want them to move to the next level and be on the endangered species list, but we also uh, want to do the very best to to really bring communities. There are so many examples in, in the United States, Africa, other other places where uh, communities have come together to protect animals far better than government ever can. And that's really what this bill is designed to do. Thanks. Uh, Chairman Newhouse, there's, there's a, a really big problem with transparency at the EPA and also the Department of Interior. And the American public and policymakers don't even know the basis for major environmental policy decisions. I mean, we we continuously try to, a lot of us, including at Heritage, continuously try to make things more transparent, to make underlying data and studies available. Uh, You have some legislation, H.R. 5740. How would that legislation help address transparency issues? That's it. That's a great question. One of the things that frustrates us, many of us here um, in Washington, many of my colleagues, you know, um, ESA listing decisions truly do, as as Mr. Buck was talking about, have very significant impacts uh, on on almost every aspect of rural communities, including, surprise, surprise, our economies. Um, So when when the administration opens a public comment period for a proposed listing, they solicit input from these communities, and that's the way it should be. Economic impacts are often the the most important thing. And my legislation uh, ensures that these impacts are clearly communicated to the public when a listing decision is made. And as we talked a, a bit, about today, these decisions, like you said, should be based on science. But that doesn't mean we, we can ignore or should ignore how they're going to affect families and businesses living alongside these species. So the economic impacts, I hope, through this legislation uh, will be one of the, the important considerations that will be kept uh, in mind throughout the process. Thanks. And 
like to turn to a specific species representative buck and i just want to get your take on the delisting of the gray wolf and how that impacts colorado so uh, gray wolf is a really interesting story in in uh northern united states the northern rocky mountains and and uh great lakes area the uh by the mid 19th century the gray wolf was uh truly endangered and uh certainly a threatened species um, and the efforts to reintroduce the gray wolf have been successful, uh, or at least uh, it's successful by the measure of a bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. The landowners in the West don't consider uh, a success to put another predator um, in their midst. But what's happening now is we've gotten out of balance. We now have more gray wolves than the local uh, wild population can sustain. And so those gray wolves often are preying on domestic livestock. And if you're a rancher and you've got a contract to deliver a certain number of calves or a certain number of lambs and uh, the gray wolves descend on your ranch, you are in deep trouble. It's not just getting reimbursed, which the federal government does, not just getting reimbursed for a particular uh, animal that's killed, but it's also the ramifications downstream for the ability to contract and fulfill the requirements of that contract. The, the federal government requires a rancher to prove not just that their animal was killed, but it was killed by a gray wolf. Well, uh, typically you don't have ranchers out there watching as gray wolves decimate their, their herds. And so uh, oftentimes ranchers don't get reimbursed and uh, have other problems. And so we've, we've really gone out of balance and we need to make sure that by delisting the gray wolf, one, I think it's positive, and two, uh, we are gonna try to get back in balance so that the gray wolves um, uh, are preying on uh, deer, they're preying on uh, other, uh, even smaller animals in uh, their habitats, but they are not uh, wandering onto ranches. Uh, really, most of the wild animals have uh, protections um, inherent in their species to protect them from predators like the gray wolf. Uh, a lamb doesn't, a calf doesn't. And, and so uh, we've got to be mindful of that balance. And I think that uh, what the Trump administration did was, was, was the right thing in, in delisting. And it looks like the, even the Biden administration sees the benefits of that. So thanks. Uh, Ch Chairman Newhouse, you had, um, you talked a lot about the importance of states and, and I just wanted to ask, you know, what, what role do you think states should be playing in species conservation? Well, let me be clear. <clears throat> I think states should be leading the charge. Um, the people of my district understand that land managers and the conservationists that we have right here in, in central Washington, they know how to lead species recovery efforts uh, way better than some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. And I think that that's true across the country in other states. So when the, when the federal government will come in with a one-size-fits-all regulation, it certainly causes confusion for states and local governments who are, who are working to achieve the same goal. But, but it, it's not effective in accomplishing uh, the ultimate goal of removing species uh, off the endangered species list. So just for an example, in my state of Washington, up until last year when the Trump administration removed the gray wolf from the endangered species list, 
there was this, get this, now listen carefully, there was an incredibly horrible patchwork of protections for the gray wolf because the wolf was, it remained federally listed in two thirds of our state, which included my district. Um, local communities were, were not able to manage the wolf populations like those in the other one third of the state where they could. So it made absolutely no sense. And so that's, that's I give that as an example of uh, not only bad governance, but it also ignores the, the, the blatant fact, which may be news to some people, but guess what? Wolves don't care about political boundaries. Uh, when, when a wolf population or any species population for that matter, get out of hand, they, they threaten homes, businesses, agricultural operations, ecosystems, they threaten, they threaten the human population as well. And controlling these populations should be a decision made at the local level. So if I could follow up, uh, Chairman Newhouse, uh, critics uh, would claim that this respect for federalism, not just the ESA, but environmental statutes generally, but the respect for federalism is just an excuse for not protecting the environment because they think states will just drop the ball on uh, species conservation. And I, I, how will you respond to that? I, I have a feeling I know how, but I'd like to hear what you have to say. No, that's a good question uh, because you're right. Um, but what, my, you know, my members in the Western Caucus, uh, we represent districts of the across the United States. And, and like I said at the beginning of, of, the, uh, of the program, every single one of those districts are impacted by the ESA. This administration, the Biden administration, uh, I think we can safely say now, after almost a year, seems to believe that the, the only way to protect a species is to put it under federal jurisdiction. And I'm here to tell you that that is just wrong. Uh, people who live in the communities, and I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but people who live in the local communities that are impacted by the ESA decisions, they know best how to manage their lands and care for those species. There has to be a balance. We, we just, we just uh, can't just write off the, the great conservation ep, uh, efforts that are happening right now at state and local levels. It's, it's our livelihoods that depend on our lands and waters. And contrary to what the far left may think, we are not animals who want to kill off species. We want to recover them effectively. And that starts by incentivizing, not punishing local conservationists and private landowners and states. So a couple more questions left. Uh, Representative Buck, um, so half of listed species rely on private land for 80% of their habitat. Therefore, it's not surprising that private property owners are critical to species conservation. What are some of the ways that you think the government can work collaboratively with private property owners instead of against them when it comes to the ESA? Well, I think your question um, actually contains the answer, and that is collaboration. I think the federal government has to do more listening and less talking, and, and it's clear that the uh, the proponents of using the Endangered Species Act uh, are targeting private property because they already have uh, 
great influence over public lands management, and they want to make sure that they are uh, also managing, um, infringing on the rights of uh, disturbing the quality of life of private property rights so, and private property uh, in, in the owners of that private property. So I think that the, the best thing that the federal government can do is to listen to the folks who have worked the land for, for generations, um, the communities that are involved in uh, this uh, effort to uh, really help uh, uh, a, a particular species and, and find the best way to do that. I, I gave an example earlier of, of killing predators as a way of uh, promoting um, a particular species. Uh, there are many other ways that, that uh, uh, the federal government could work with local communities. But, but my friend Dan Newhouse is absolutely right. This is something where uh, the federal government doesn't need to come in from Washington, D.C. with a one-size-fits-all answer. The federal government needs to respect state sovereignty and county sovereignty. Uh, I have a, a county in Colorado that is, uh, I think it's 94, 95 percent owned by the federal government. There's only five or six percent of that uh, land that is private property. Um, it's greatly impacted by decisions on the federal property, but also uh, these these uh, Endangered Species Act and other uh, laws impact that private property. So. Uh, as, as Dan said, the, the key is to make sure that we are listening to those who know best and, and not dictating to them. Thanks. I know we're getting close to the end here. But Chairman Newhouse, I wanted to make sure I asked you, um, Fish and Wildlife Service just um, finalized, a rule, uh, finalized a rule rejecting the Trump administration's critical habitat designation for the northern spotted owl. And in doing so, what they're doing is they're greatly expanding the critical habitat for the owl. I just want to get your take on that. Well, great question, Darren. Uh, so thank you for that. I've, uh, I've seen firsthand the, the detrimental effects of the, uh, the northern spotted owls listing has had on, on my state. Uh, you know, we, we used to be a, a huge uh, forest product state. Um, and unfortunately, uh, I think this is another example of cherry picking scientific data in order to fit a, a, a desired narrative. As you may know, the owl's critical habitat designation has been revised several times, most notably about, uh, I believe, in 2012, when the Fish and Wildlife Services designated an additional nine and a half million acres as critical habitat. And that included millions of acres of federal land that were not even inhabited uh, by the spotted owl. Uh, this flawed designation resulted in the loss of a, at least 1,200 jobs in the Pacific Northwest, and it truly dealt a devastating blow to our landowners, our forest products, businesses, and those local communities that depend on all of, all of those jobs. As you mentioned, this administration, the Biden administration, is throwing all out the Trump administration's ruling that truly followed the science and, and, the, and the law and brought certainty back to the Pacific Northwest. And I mentioned the law because in 2018, the, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, unanimously upheld a common sense decision regarding the dusk, dusky gopher frog. Maybe you recall that. 
ruling that only the habitat of the endangered species is eligible for critical habitat designation. Unlike the Northern Spotted Owl, where we saw millions of acres listed that were not uh, inhabited by the, by the owl. Uh, my friend and, and a fellow Western Caucus member, uh, Representative Bentz from Oregon, uh, Cliff has been working tirelessly on this, this issue, uh, which has all has greatly impacted his district as well, uh, just south of me. In fact, just this year, he introduced legislation codifying the Trump administration's regulations pertaining to the, the, the Northern Spotted Owl. Um, the Biden administration seems to believe that the only way to protect a species is to put it under federal jurisdiction. And that's that is just wrong. It's inherently false. People who live in the communities impacted by the ESA, like I said, they know best how to manage their land and they know how to care for these impacted species. There's got to be a balance and we just can't write off the great conservation efforts efforts that are already happening at state and at local levels. I know we're, we're at the end here, but I wanted to just briefly give both of you a chance to just, you, you've covered this, but um, we, we've recognized the ESA isn't achieving desired outcomes. And if briefly each of you could just answer, what are what do you think are some of the most important things that need to be done to improve species conservation real quickly? Who do you want to go first, Aaron? Buck, go ahead, or other, yeah, Representative Buck. Uh, okay, I appreciate that. And I've got to run to a Foreign Affairs Committee hearing, so I appreciate uh, the opportunity to do this. Uh, real briefly, I think that the, uh, the left's tactic of sue and settle has got to be addressed. They, uh, uh, the federal uh, bureaucrats and the uh, environmental groups collude. The uh, environmental groups sue, the bureaucrats settle, um, and it is a, a policy that rewards uh, the kind of abuses with the Endangered Species Act that we can't tolerate. I think it's one of the things that Congress, when we regain control uh, in 2022, we need to make sure that we are addressing those kinds of issues uh, that the left is so well known for. Um, uh, Representative Newhouse uh, and Darren, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, uh, God bless everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Chairman Newhouse, do you have any Mark? Oh, absolutely, Darren. And thank you again for, for uh, elevating this issue. It's so important for people to truly understand. And, and I think by doing this, we're setting the foundation for, for future work to, to um, get back to the point where we rely on the great work that's already happening and rely on those experts, those landowners, those state and local governments, those tribal governments that, uh, as I've said, truly know better uh, their local lands, their local species, <clears throat> and are getting a lot of great accomplishments already uh, under their belts. We need to rely on them and reverse this trend of making all of the uh, important decisions in Washington, D.C. And I think by uh, utilizing the efforts like we are today, making people aware of the, the failures of the ESA, what we can do to improve it and make sure it's a successful regulation. Uh, I think more people will get excited about the potential that we have. So thank you very much for 
providing this opportunity to talk about a very, very important issue throughout the Western United States. Well, thank you, Chairman Newhouse and Representative Buck. We really appreciate you joining us today and also just your, your incredible work that you're doing with, um, with the ESA and environmental issues generally. And, and I want to thank all of you who are participating in today's program or watching a recording of this event. I encourage you to visit heritage.org to learn more about the Endangered Species Act, our other policy work, and of course, future events. I also encourage you to contact me using the information on your screen if you'd like to continue the conversation. Again, thank you, have a great day, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.